Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, this is an interesting episode. It's actually just me for once. And uh, this was actually a digital seminar I did for Bar Convent Berlin uh, last year. Um, I was really happy to be part of that schedule. Uh, thank you to Angus Winchester for, for inviting me onto that. And I really hope to do more in the future too. Listening back, I could tell actually I, I recorded this aimed at people just getting into the industry or who had been in for a short time and wanted to learn. And uh, I guess it was really a snapshot of some of the previous guests I've had on the show and some of the learnings that I've taken away. And I really probably could have gone much more in depth uh, with most of um, that episode, but I think I'll do more in the future. You'll hear that this this uh, seminar, which is uh, basically broken down into seven different sections, from education to personal branding to well-being, and I think really I've got enough content, had enough great people on to do an episode on each one. So I'll probably do that very soon. So yes, please enjoy. This was a great episode for me. It was sort of the first time I've done a seminar. And like I said, probably won't be the last, I hope. I am available, guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, do listen. And uh, guys, I've got more exciting news coming up along the way from uh, the launch of the YouTube channel, which I'm very excited about, um, and also more news on the book, which I'm hoping to get together soon. But uh, I do need your support, guys. I'm going to have a link in the show notes to my Patreon, as I always do, and uh, I'll, I'll do a follow-up episode soon about what Patreon is and what it means to me and the community. But essentially, it really helps me and the show grow because we are... Well, I am an independent, self-funded um, sort of media channel. And yeah, any support goes a long way. All right, enough babbling from me. Um, yeah, enjoy this episode, guys, really. And stay safe. Talk to you all very soon. Hi, guys. I'm Christopher Menning. I'm the host of On The Bat Bar podcast. And today I'm doing a session for Bar Convent Berlin. This session is the tools, tactics, habits, and routines of leaders, icons, and world-class beverage experts. God, that's a bit of a mouthful. I should have made that title shorter, but I think you're gonna learn some really interesting tips today. Now, my host on the Batbar podcast, it's a popular show, now listened to in 56 countries around the world. I'm very proud of that fact because it means I'm engaging and teaching thousands of bartenders like yourself around the world. So we have a variety of people come on the show, from you know, world-class bartenders to distillery owners and producers, even sommeliers and media personalities. What we talk about is a wide array of topics. If you look through my show, you can see that each person has a unique story to tell and a unique vision of what they do. And today I kind of wanted to show you a condensed view of what I've learned over the last 50 to 60 interviews. Now, I want to start by saying that I'm going to be publishing a book with all this information in. So this is firstly uh, a way for me to show you what's going to be in that book, but also to sort of share some of the incredible knowledge I've learned from these amazing people that have joined me as a guest. Now, thank you firstly to Bar Conference Berlin and Angus Winchester for giving me the opportunity to share these stories. And also thank you to the amazing guests that have come on the show. They really have taught me so much and inspired a lot of people around the world. And that's what I plan to do here for you today. So, what makes this show different is we go beyond what cocktails are and what techniques you, can, you should do. You know, we talk about what you need to do to look after your well-being in a high-pressure job like a brand ambassador. 
what it's like to tour around South America distilleries and plantations, and also what it means to really be a zero waste distillery. There's so much interesting knowledge you're going to find out today and just from listening to the show. So what I've done is categorized my learnings into seven categories or profiles. And this is basically my interpretation of the knowledge I've received. Now, what I've categorized them into is well-being, sustainability, entrepreneurship, leadership, personal branding, and education. And we're gonna talk about each one today and about certain people that have come on my show and given us advice about those topics. So, a little bit about me, firstly, uh, as I should probably tell you. So, yeah, I'm Christopher Menning. I'm also the founder of Gastronomer Lifestyle, which is my lifestyle media brand, promoting food and drink tourism around the world. I've spent my last three years in Southeast Asia and mostly Thailand, which has given me the opportunity to work in places like this. This is the Ritz Carlton, and they've invited me down to promote their food and drink to people that are coming to Thailand. Now, don't worry, it's not just all Ritz and glamour. I do everything from street food to fine dining, cocktail bars and beer, and I really want to focus on storytelling. So it's been a hard couple of years, but I think over the next few years, as we progress, you're gonna see some great content coming out of my brand, and hopefully out the podcast. Alongside that, I've been in the industry for about 12 years, working in multiple locations, UK and Bangkok, um, from washing dishes to being a bar manager of a Michelin-style restaurant and Raleigh Chateau Hotel in the UK. Um, I've entered many competitions, and my latest role in Thailand is I'm the head of marketing of the Chameleon Group, which is a new marketing agency where we consult and also run marketing campaigns for high-profile clients like Fever Tree, Mason Volver, so I'm very active in the industry, but rather than shaking, I more just talk and write and share about it these days. <laughs> so what we're gonna do today is go through each topic and I really want you to have an open mind and take note of the people I mentioned today. I can't go through all 50, 60 interviews because there's been so many, but uh, I really do urge you to, from this session, to go and find out about each of these people and see which one relates to you and which area you need more help with right now. So, well-being. Now, I think we're very lucky to live in a time where we can talk about this stuff now. If you go back to our parents' generations, anxiety wasn't a thing. Depression, you didn't talk about. So these terms of well-being and, and looking after our mental health, it's a very new concept, which is good, because a lot of people do struggle. Now, what is well-being? Good question. The definition is, whether you are in a state of being comfortable, healthy, and happy. And I'd like you to ask yourself now, do you feel that way? Are you comfortable, healthy, and happy? I think it's sometimes good to ask ourselves these questions, and you'll see why by some of the guests and what they've been telling me. We live in a very rock star environment in the bar world, and sometimes the whole term of go hard or go home can be thrown around quite loosely. But over time, that can have quite an impact on your health and body. So my first guest who came on the show about this sort of looking after yourself and well-being, it was Tim Efferington Judge, and I'm sure a lot of people know him. Tim had quite an extreme story that got him to where he is today. And <clears throat> while being a global brand ambassador for a rather big whiskey brand sounds amazing, 
being able to travel the world, meet people and drink amazing cocktails, people sometimes forget about the negative impacts that come along with that. The jet lag, the eating poorly, lack of sleep, and sort of the micro relationships that are built that are not fulfilling enough. For Tim, unfortunately, it was too much after time and he did try to commit suicide in his room. The depression got too much. Now, I want to state that Tim is very open about this experience that happened to him. In fact, it's part of his healing process. Now, when he was open about it and told his friends and family, he expected a wave of people to come back to him and give him support and love, which he did. But what he didn't expect was hundreds of messages of people going through the same thing, the same mental and physical struggles. And it's actually what was the catalyst for him creating Healthy Hospital to help people in our industry. So I myself have also suffered from anxiety, quite a lot actually, and although it's part of me still, I, I accept it now and I can understand how to deal with it. But when it first came around, I didn't know. And I had to go see someone, I had a little breakdown. In fact, for me, the healing process was just having someone to talk to and be like a soundboard. They didn't need to know me, I just had to unleash everything off my chest and it was incredibly fulfilling. So it's important, I think what I'm trying to get to say here is don't let it get to the extremes that I did with Tim or with me. Go see someone. Someone can always listen, whether it's a loved one or whether it's a professional, you can do that. The next person to talk about would be Camille Vidal. And Camille is a fantastic advocate of healthy hedonism. I love that term, right? Healthy hedonism. It's it's a really great term and I think what it really kind of like drills down to is, you know, looking after yourself but still enjoying and celebrating life. And that's great. Now Camille came from a background, very much like all of us. She was in Australia for a long time being a bartender. She was a brand ambassador for St. Germain for a long time. And she was in the lifestyle, going out, partying, drinking, socialising. And it was quite draining after a while for her. And what she's learned to do now through healthy coping mechanisms, which we should all implement in our life, such as yoga, meditation, she's learned to celebrate moments. Rather than going out drinking mindlessly, she emphasises the importance of celebrating the cocktail and the moment it's drunk. So I think that's a fantastic way to look at it, you know. You don't have to do going extreme by drinking too much and partying and then going cold turkey because that yo-yo effect on your body is, is quite damaging actually. So do like Emil does, pace yourself. Check in with yourself too. Millie Tang is another great example from episode one, funnily enough, and uh, I do urge you to go listen to her, she's great. But she also went through the same thing in the industry. She categorized burnout that happened to her and this was off the back of winning um, Bacardi Legacy and, and being in other competitions but that burnout does happen off the time. For her she said you need to reassess your relationship with the industry and I think that's very true because where it can be fun to go out every night partying and meeting people and sometimes we do need that but you gotta check in with yourself because for Millie it was five years before she realized hey I need to take a step back and think about what am I doing in this industry? So that was really important to her too. Checking in with herself and her relationship with the hospitality scene. Now, you don't need to be an extreme runner. Jay Khan is very impressively running multiple miles most 
evening so I think that's probably due to a lot of its success and same with Tim he's a, a marathon runner but I'm not saying you need to do that but I think we all should start implementing healthy coping mechanisms in our life I regularly walk 30 minutes in the morning I'm an early riser, I'm up at 6am, which is crazy, even if I'm partying till 3, I'm just wired like that. But actually the act of going out in the air, in the sun for 30 minutes is so rejuvenating for my mind. And after time, that can have a lasting impact. Same with meditation. Meditation is very hard to get into. I struggle with it. Um, I usually have periods of two weeks or three or longer and then pause for a lot longer, but it actually does help. And it's that sort of continual, um, act of doing it that over time it, it stimulates your mind and your body and, and it really has a lasting impact so yes try to reassess how you are and ask yourself those questions that I asked at the start and maybe start thinking about things you can do to make yourself healthy healthy and you know look after yourself because this industry is fantastic and it's a lot of fun but you can say no there's always another party So now we're moving on to sustainability. Uh, I mean, this is great and interesting topic. I think a lot of us know about sustainability now and we implement this sort of stuff in our own beverage programs. But we still got a long way to go. And I think it takes a, a certain aspect of looking at what's going on around our own sort of local area and on the micro sort of basis. And these sort of things can grow into much bigger things. So start small but dream big is always the key when it comes to sustainability. Now, some of the guests I've had come on the show have been absolute advocates of this and have you know, pioneered the industry forward. We'll start with a smaller basis and we'll work on some other uh, larger sort of aspects that are going on, but let's think about Maxime Scholter to start. We all know Maxime from being the head bartender of Savoy Hotel and now he's actually at Cole, the Mescaleria in London. And what Maxime was telling me is that he first looked at what's going on in the kitchen and I think most of us in the beverage space probably work with uh, some sort of chef or we have a restaurant in the same venue. If you're in hotels, that's very true. But he wanted to see what they're using as waste. In his restaurant at Cole, he saw that they were wasting a lot of butternut squash, the pulp of it, and also beetroot, the offcuts that, that weren't being used. And what he decided to do with that, that waste, is create aguafrescas. Now, what an agua fresca is, is essentially it's a non-alcoholic beverage from Mexico. And it's something that could be as easy as soda, lemon or lime, but he decided to elevate this while using the waste from the kitchen. So he uses the butternut squash, he uses the beetroot, and he creates these amazing juices to add to the agua fresca. On top of this, he also looks at the wine program. So I know from my own experience that there's always a small sample of wine left at the end of the service or maybe some wine that's gone off. What Maxime does, rather than throw that away, he actually uses that for pickling and he turns it into a vinegar. So this is a great way of finding multi-use, uh, you know, multi-use procedures for ingredients that we often don't think about. If we look into other further aspects, the wider, you know, kind of impact of the distribution side, for instance, Zenik Kastanek is a great example of that. Now Zenik was uh, a very famous bartender from 28 Hong Kong Street and he's been known to work in many countries around the world. But now what he does is he's a firm you know, uh, voice of zero waste management in terms of distribution and bottles. So Zenik Kastanek works for Proof & Co uh, with their Eco Spirits. 
And Eco Spirits produce these amazing things called Eco Totes. If you don't know what they are, please have a look now and see if it's in your area. If you want to think about what Eco Totes are, the best way to think about it is like, a, like the beer industry and beer kegs. So you can buy these Eco Totes, these small boxes which sit in your bar. They hold about six bottles of 700ml or 750cl in the United States of whatever spirit you want. Now, what's great about this is it's very much like the beer industry where the keg empties and then someone picks it up and refills it for you. But where Zenix says the beer industry is great at waste management, they're very bad when it comes to CO2 emissions because that keg you get taken away could be traveling thousands of miles or even overseas at some points. So to get around this, to find a solution, they created these refill hubs in different cities. And what it means is once this ecotose empty, you or someone else who picks it up can take it to the refill hub and fill it up. This is such a great way of like looking at how they can sort of you know, manage the system and really think about the environment. And what it means that for capacity, ecospirits can save 44,000 bottles being made every month. That's a staggering figure and it's, it's such a huge impact to the environment, I reckon. The greatest thing about this is that you as the end consumer, the person who actually holds it as the bar manager, it's very cost effective because the brand is saving money on bottling, the distributor is saving money on shipping, and what it means is that final product is, you know, sometimes dramatically cheaper. So that's a really great way of seeing something that's wrong in the industry, acting upon it and scaling it massively. And I think to finish off, we can talk about Will Edge. Will Edge is the master distiller of Green Sandwich Gin. Um, I'm such a fan of his work. He's from East Sussex, which is where I'm from as well. It's a beautiful part of the country. But what Green Sand Gin does, um, maybe to put it into emphasis, they're one of the only distilleries in the world to win off a Masters in Sustainability at the San Francisco Spirits Awards. Now, Will throws away about six bin bags every other month. I mean, it's literally nothing his waste. And the reason behind that is because he looked at his local area and saw the farmers and saw how he can sort of help each other. Every part of waste that's edible, that he can sort of throw away, he gives back to the farmers for the pigs or the animals for feed. And in turn, the farmers who produce all the fruit and vegetables they give him all these odd-looking fruits that aren't good for supermarkets, but still actually fine to eat. And he uses that for distillation. And for me, I think that's such a perfect way of harmony, you know, this sort of circle uh, thing he's created within this local area. This is what we need to do when it comes to sustainability. It always starts with something small, but can be something massive. And, you know, dream big is what I'd say. But look at what's going on in your own doorstep first then your local community and then see how that can scale to have a much larger effect. We're back and we're on to leadership. I thought I'd change place just to keep it fresh. So leadership is, um, you know, I think in hospitality we, we know that it's a very important skill. However, I've known from experience working in hotels that uh, management and leadership can be a little bit confused sometimes. Whilst I think it's important that they're two sides of the same coin, and you do need both. Can also be that you meet some great managers, but their leadership skills are a little bit poor. So what is a leader? I think for a long time, if you look at the theories of leadership, um, it was a case of where people were born as leaders. Think Alexander the Great, Napoleon, or were they 
created as leaders in times of peril, Winston Churchill being a prime example of that. But I think everyone has a little bit of leadership inside them. It just needs to be awakened or maybe owned, toned a bit more further. So transactional leadership was something really kind of like emphasized within management. And the idea is that when you transaction, the transaction is essentially when you give staff a monetary gain, they give that back. And that's sort of give and take when it comes to it. But we know that, that whilst that is sort of there, the foundation, there is so much more you need as a leader. Um, I believe that empathy is probably the most important thing when it comes to leadership. And you'll see why from some of the uh, speakers that I'll tell you about. But empathy is, is key. The ability to understand others' needs and wants and you know, really understand when someone's upset, distressed, or you know, you know, it's a very important factor. So let's take Philip Bischoff. Philip's a great friend, uh, lives in Bangkok with me as well. We've all both had the struggle of COVID, unfortunately, and he's got a fantastic bar, uh, Bangkok Social Club, which still hasn't had the time to flourish. So I'm looking forward to that opening up properly. But Philip, you might know from Manhattan Bar in Singapore, um, had huge success, obviously a very, very famous bar, world-renowned. Um, and he's also been working in uh, various establishments back at home in Germany. So you would think Philip has been a great leader and a great management for most of his career. But Philip also had mistakes, as we all have. And I think the ability to admit when you're wrong or take it and, and understand, okay, I need to change, is a very important skill to learn too. For Philip, it was coming to Manhattan, to Singapore, to a very new environment, new people, new culture. And when they first started Manhattan Bar, he said that it was a little bit overwhelming. The team had built these amazing um, bartenders and service and managers, all of them superstars essentially, and they had this great program they're gonna push ahead. But you ever heard the term, too many cook, too many chefs, not enough cooks? I think that's kind of what Philip was getting at when he told me about it. Everyone was opinionated. Everyone had this you know, idea and they wanted to push forward. So Philip had to think, well, how am I gonna manage this? For him, he took a step back and he said, okay, I can't be doing what everyone else is doing. This is not working. And what he realized is that he needed to take the fatherhood approach. He needed to be the one that people came to as a father figure and he would help them grow and develop. And that's what led to the key success in Manhattan. So there's the empathy in that, I would say. Another one we can look at is being a good communicator. Jesse Vida is a, a fantastic communicator. And if you look at Atlas and the program they have, I mean, it's like 1,400 gyms. Can you imagine trying to train your staff on that constantly? Jesse does really well at that, and I really urge you to go listen to his uh, classes on Instagram, you'll see. And uh, also just on the podcast, you'll see that he is an excellent communicator. And I think when we're in the business of education and teaching people, that's a very important trait to have too. Swinging back to empathy, I'd probably like to bring in Megs Miller. Uh, Megs Miller was uh, the sort of person who led Fan Bar in London. I, fortunately, it's, it's closed now and I never got the opportunity to go, but Megs also led the Tahonasai Society. Now, the Tahona Society is a cocktail competition, a little bit different. What they wanted to do was make it 
a competition where bartenders could have a platform to make the world a better place for the bar industry. And essentially they would use this as a way for bartenders to come in and create an innovation or uh, something that can help the industry and just make it better. Now that's such a great form of leadership I think for me. The idea that you're giving these people a platform and helping them grow that's going to change the world for a better place. And the other thing for Megs is that for her team at FAM, it wasn't just a name, but she really did count her staff as family. And she would organize regular family day trips, which I love, that's such a great idea. And instead of the normal sort of uh, training, she would take these out to suppliers, you know, she'd have. So Bermondsey B Street would be one where they get to learn about the honeys and get take that back. And Megs also states that as the bat bar, every member of the team would have a say in what goes on there so that everyone believes in it. So when it comes to leadership, it's something that kind of develops over time. And I think, you know, with the right nurture, uh, and you know, you can build it too. But definitely keep your empathy. Learn to be a good communicator. And, you know, above all, keep integrity. Make sure that you stick to what you say and that others can follow you. All right, creativity. So this is a fun one. Uh, it's just started raining in the background. Uh, this is Thailand, we're in monsoon season, so I hope you can still hear me over that. Um, yeah, creativity. Now, we are in an industry where creativity is celebrated. We're very lucky for that. Creativity is the key to you traveling around the world, winning global cocktail competitions, and teaching hundreds, if not thousands, of people how to make delicious drinks. But creativity also needs a bit of restraint. Well, maybe not restraint is the right word, direction, I would say. So how do we direct creativity? Well, there are some people who've sort of managed to temper this wild beast, and you'll see how. But you need to get cocktails right sometimes. How many times have you been to a bar or a restaurant and you've tried something which is completely bonkers and it tastes pretty okay, and you're like, well, okay, I'm surprised that it worked, but you don't want another one. And I think this is the problem as well. We go a little bit too far sometimes. For me, what a cocktail should be, should be sessionable. And I think most of my guests would agree. You want your guests to have that drink and then order it again and again and again, and they'd be happy to do that. And that's the key to a good cocktail, sessionability. That's not to say you can't do some crazy infusions or some you know, fat wash and uh, bone marrow and everything like that. I mean, I've seen it work before and you know, it can work, but sessionability is key. So, you know, I think when you're looking for inspiration, um, inspiration comes from everywhere, as we know, and what a lot of my guests have said is that they look to other cultures or their travels have inspired them too. But I would also say, talk to your culinary partners, like we mentioned before. If you're working in a restaurant, talk to the chef. Chefs have amazing palates. They've built up these palates for a long time and they understand the, the foundations of flavor pairing and, and ingredients. And the culinary world has been far advanced compared to us for a long time. So yeah, definitely talk to your chef or someone you know uh, working in the kitchen. So let's take Jay Khan, for example. Jay Khan of Koa, uh, which most people know is in Hong Kong, a fantastic bar. And what Jay does, uh, which actually I would say many of my guests do as well, always carries a little notebook around and takes notes. Actually, the ability of note-taking is, is very good for memory, um, and I recommend it too. So but Jay will travel the world and take inspiration. And it's not to say he's just 
taking inspiration for cocktails, he'll just note it. And when it comes to the time of building a new menu, he'll bring it out and see what have they found. Now, one uh, good example that Che told me about was in Taiwan, they have this amazing guava snack and they cover it in plum powder and that's what you snack on basically. So for well, this is great, how do we take this into a cocktail? Um, and for him, he has created this sort of uh, template, this cocktail template that him and his team go through. So it gives the steps of what you need to do to make a cocktail. So the step one is direction. Which direction do we want it to go in? Uh, do we want a winter style cocktail, long, refreshing, low ABV, uh, strong, spirit forward? Well, he thought about the snack first. Think about the guava, the plum powder on a nice hot day. It's refreshing, that's what the snack is there for. So he decided to do a long highball refreshing cocktail first. Next is to think about the different techniques and ingredients. So guava, for instance, well, how do we add the guava to the cocktail? Do we juice it? Do we infuse it? Do we make bitters? He had to go through each step and figure out which one was right. Now, when he just juiced the guava and put it in, he lost it a little bit, or the infusion, and you couldn't taste it that well, so that didn't work. So then you have to look at other techniques. Well, can we do something a bit more uh, complicated, like sous vide or clarification? Well, clarification is what he landed on. So he clarified the guava and then added some carbonation. And what essentially you have is the majority of the drink is guava, which is great. And then with the plum, what he did is he infused the salted plum into the tequila, which is the base of the cocktail. And to bring the whole concept together, because Coa is a Mexican tequila-focused bar, he added some antro rays. And the reason behind this is because Mexico do a very similar thing with a fruit snack, but they add chili powder, chili mix onto the fruit. So he had antro rays into the cocktail too. Now, I think this is a fantastic example of showcasing creativity, adding direction and templates, and then also bringing the concept of the whole bar in one. Another good example of someone uh, having direction or putting steps in place to help the creativity process uh, is Jason Williams of Proofing Co, who's the creative director of the consultancy. And let's face it, they've consulted for pretty much all the best bars in the world. They, they are doing so good work. Um, but actually, what he told me is he has these 20 pillars and he follows them pretty much religiously for every new uh, consultation project they have. But what it gives us is a guideline, and rather than going a little bit too lost and you know, ending up down the road, not knowing which way we go, he's got these sort of directional steps to take. Now, I think another thing to do is this. Uh, this is a term I really like, and it's something I, I follow. It's called kill your darlings. Now, for those who don't know, kill your darlings is a phrase in writing. And what it essentially means is you must ruthlessly eliminate any words, characters, side plots, or turns of phrase that we personally love, but does nothing for the story. And sometimes that happens in cocktails. You use an ingredient like, this is it, I want to use this so much, we love it. But if it's not working for the drink, kill it off. But, you know, don't be afraid to go a bit wild with your creativity. That's what you should do. Of course, if you didn't go wild and if you didn't push it to the limits, Dina McCreef would not be able to tell us that Monster Munch pairs so perfectly well with Mezcal. So next we're talking about entrepreneurship. Um, 
I love this idea of being a hospitality entrepreneur. Uh, Sean Saw, uh, he was a very good person who sort of taught me that word, and I, I think I classify myself as that. Now, we used to have this sort of uh, timeline of, of your career in, in the bar world, where you start as a bartender, then your bar manager, then brand ambassador, and then basically you have your own bar. But as you'll see from many of the guests that have come on my show, there are so many different possibilities and opportunities we can capitalize on. And sometimes it's about looking at your own passions and, and using that for the industry to help it grow. So I've had quite a few people who have come on the show and have their own businesses. In fact, tech is quite a big thing I'm interested in now and you'll see from a lot of the people I have. We've got entrepreneurship series. Uh, I think we're up to episode four now. But these people have seen something that's <clears throat> an issue or problem or something that needs to be fixed. They've created a solution and then they've served their audience. That's a very important word too as well, served. Whenever you're starting a business, you need to think, well, how do I want to be of service? Who am I helping? And that's the key when it comes to creating a business that can grow. So for me, for instance, with Gastronomy Lifestyle, I came off the back of 12 years in hospitality and you know, I never really had any sort of uh, business experience. I did a business degree in university, but I was a man-man and quit my job, traveled to Asia with a backpack and started my business, Gastronomy Lifestyle. Now, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I think that's part of the process. And we struggled a lot through COVID, which I'm sure most people did, but now we're at a position where I'm very comfortable and believe it or not, I've taught myself most of it. And I think the mistakes is the key part here. 90% of startups fail. That's a massive number. There's very few that get through. And I think the other important thing to remember is success is not a milestone. It's not an event. Sorry, it is a milestone, but it's not an event. Success is part of the journey. It's that growing, and it doesn't stop. From most of the guests that have come on the show, I would say you know, most of them are, or all of them are successful in their own way. But it doesn't mean they've stopped there. They're constantly going forward and they feel like they need to do more and that's the key part of success there for you. So Josh Jacobs is a great example of someone uh, innovating in tech and pivoting as well. So the term pivoting really is about, you know, when something's not going right, you need to sort of take a turn. What's important is always having your key ethos. So remember that ability to serve, who are we serving? And what are we doing to help them? that in your your style you know the guidance but sometimes we need to make changes um, for Josh for instance he had a subscription uh, sort of spirit model where people can subscribe and have monthly deliveries of spirits and after five years of this he kind of realized with his team they need to change they didn't see this business evolving any further and they wanted to change into a different sort of model by being of service uh, with tech to distilleries what he created essentially was an e-commerce platform um, that small distilleries could use and sell their products. And at the time when he launched it, there wasn't a lot of interest, but then hey-ho, COVID happened. And most of these distilleries lost 80% of their business. They'd relied so heavily on off-trade, uh, sorry, on on-trade that they didn't know what to do next. And you know, it was quite damaging. So for him to come up with this solution was so good for that time. And what ended up happening is he's now got 250 partners because he doesn't call these distilleries or producers customers, they're partners to him. 
and he's got these tech solutions. So for a lot of these people, maybe they don't have digital marketing or they don't have a team for web design, but he actually offers that as part of his package. And you know, he's had great success with it and even to the point where he helped Tesla tequila, Elon Musk's tequila, sell out tens of thousands of bottles in one hour. Uh, that's incredible. So that's a really great form of someone seeing the business needing to pivot and changing at the right time to create this amazing uh, model and helping a lot of people. I think uh, another thing to look at as well is, you know, the three pillars that Jean Sebastian of Mason Volver states. And Jean Sebastian's had uh, a really long standing career creating amazing spirits. But for him, the three pillars were the signature, the constant quality, and also the interaction with the consumer. I think the constant quality is important here as well because the end product is sort of the finishing touches, but you need to think about the whole process of the business model. And I guess for this, you could think about if we're looking at spirits, it's about you know the production, the farmers, the people making it. That's the most important part of the whole process. Zach Lister is a really good person who understood this. And when he launched his RTDs, the tequila soda cans, um, he had to really look into this because the most important part of the process for him was tequila production and in Mexico, Jalisco, where it's been made. And actually over time, he's learned to be there as much as possible. He's there most of the year now, helping these farmers. And he's actually seen a lot of the problems that go on with agave harvesting. And now he's fighting for that. For him, it's all about constant quality and making sure it's the best agave being used. So he's now helping these farmers fight for better agave harvesting and also better production overall. So yes, I think there's tons of opportunities now. And sometimes it'd be a case of looking at what your passions are. Millie Tang, for instance, is a passionate photographer and she always kept that. Although she's been in hospitality for so long now, she actually does a lot of photography for brands that she loves. And that's part of her passion. And Sean Saul, for instance, is a great example too as a hospitality entrepreneur because he writes multiple books about his passion for, for Vancouver and the area of Canada and the distilleries in that area. Yeah, I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, there's so many opportunities that arise and there will be more as they come. So think about that. Think about how you can be of service, still keep your passion and create something that could help a lot of people. So personal brand and education. I actually think the two are interlinked, especially in our industry, where education is such an important factor. If you look at some of the people that have come on my show, they've realized that you are the most important part of personal branding. Your story is what people interact with. And as human beings, we're naturally inclined to love storytelling. If you think back to the times of cavemen, when we'd sit around the fire and learn stories, that's ingrained as us as humans. But when it comes to personal branding, you should be authentic. Uh, Christy Norman was a really good example of this. Christy was uh, a sommelier at Spargo. She's now the lead sommelier in Las Vegas, a, a beautiful property, I think it's Wynn Hotels. But for her, what she told me was that for the most important part of her personal branding was being honest and authentic. And what she saw then is she connected a lot more with her consumer base and grew her socials a hell of a lot more when she told her story, her personals. And this is when times are bad and times are good. She now educates through her platform. She sells online wine courses and she does really well by teaching people how to enjoy wine and, and learn about the basics of it. Tom Sergi is another fantastic example of someone using themselves 
as education and personal branding. Tom was the development manager of Ridgeview Wine, the sparkling wine in East Sussex. And Tom also helps with an app called Pingza. And the fact of this um, using himself to sort of teach about wine has led him to great success. So you need to be really honest about who you are and what your story should be and what you want to pinpoint. You know, you need to find your niche. When it comes to being able to spread the word as well, Hannah Lee from Hannah Lee Communications tell me, tells me that, um, you know, the basics of PR, you need to figure out who you are and what you want to do. What's your story? What are you giving back to your community and your audience? And it can be as simple as finding something you love, such as rum. Ian Burrow, who came on the show to tell me about Rumfest, started his career as a sort of brand ambassador for a well-known rum, Ray and Nephews, and saw that there was um, a space needed to go further than this. He created this role, uh, the Global Rum Ambassador, but even though he's self-imposed, he has found enormous respect from most distilleries around the world, and also from Rumfest, which is now in multiple countries, 15 years in a row. So he saw that need of education, and he used himself as the person to lead that charge and has helped a lot of people. But yes, make sure you find out what your niche is and what you want to be pushing forward. Like Tim Angelello says uh, from Sourcecraft Cocktails, find your North Star. What is it you are going to be driving and trying to get to? So look, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and thank you to BarConf in Berlin for giving me the opportunity to share some of these learnings. It really was just a snapshot of some of the things I found and, and starting to implement in my life too. And, you know, once again, I say that success is the journey. You're going to always be learning and it's never going to be perfect. But as soon as long as you keep going and you improve by 1% each day, that's progress. So once again, thank you for listening. Um, please go back to listen to all my episodes of On The Back Bar podcast. Um, you know, even episode one and, and further, my editing skills do get a lot better. So I am sorry for the, the terrible editing at the beginning, but um, it's been a great journey for me. Uh, incredible experience learning from these amazing people. If you want to find out more, you can go on my Facebook group called The Beverage Network, uh, which is a Facebook group where we share lots of learnings and industry news. And I also highlight a member every Monday and we share cocktail recipes on Friday as well. And uh, yeah, you can find my show on Spotify, iTunes and all other major podcast providers. And um, that's pretty much it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Good luck with your journey and your hospitality, entrepreneurship and wherever you want to get to in the industry. And feel free to reach out to me. Maybe one day you'll come on my show and tell me your story. Thank you.